advocate for them. So, Anyway, so this evening, um, we are continuing our study through the book of 1 Samuel. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're studying this evening one of the most uh, well-known stories of the Bible. Um, and the story of David and Goliath. Um, you know, there are certain uh, stories that uh, really are universal. We, we know about them from, you know, the story of Adam and Eve, of Noah, Jonah, um, David and Goliath, um, so on and so forth. And, and so we're coming across that story this evening, the story of David and Goliath. Goliath, of course, we know he was a giant. He was a giant uh, that was the champion of the Philistine army. He, it is said that he measured somewhere between 8.5 and 9.2. Imagine that. Um, so he would have to duck going through any doorway. You know, uh, At 8.5, um, he would probably even rub his head on most ceilings. Um, and that's if you have an 8-foot ceiling. So this was, this was a big man, uh, Goliath. And then you have David. And um, and we know that he was uh, he was a, a young young man at this point. Uh, he was about the age of fifteen. And um, just to also kind of put things in perspective, um, it is known that uh, that Goliath's armor and um, and his weaponry, all, all of that, uh, weighed about two hundred pounds. So you can imagine. I mean, he carried it around like it, like for you and I, perhaps we would carry a, a lot lighter weight. And so he was just a uh, a very big man. Talk, talk about, um, you know, having, you know, the, the story of the underdog. You know, we have the underdog, whether it be in any sport. Um, sometimes we go to the championship game and, and we know who the underdog is. And, and somehow, some way, uh, most people kind of just are inclined to root for the underdog. We, we want to see the underdog, you know, really come back from defeat and you know, uh, being down and, and, and have victory. And so we have this story of the underdog right here as far as the world is concerned and through the eyes of the world, but definitely not in the eyes of the Lord. Now, David, you know, Goliath was this Philistine who was, uh, had been a soldier for many years from, from his youth is what we know in Scripture. And here was this youth, uh, David, who was a shepherd of his father's sheep. Um, this is the timeless story of the underdog coming out victorious over the Philistine champion who favored, who's favored to win over anyone who dared to actually fight him. So let's pray and we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we want to commit once more this time into your hands, Lord, asking that you would give us understanding by your spirit that you would teach us all things that pertain to life and godliness found in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. And so, Father, I pray that you would be blessed, you would be honored and glorified in and through this time of study, for it is a continued time of worshiping you as, um, as Lord, we're, we're expecting to hear from you. And so we thank you, Father. Speak through me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 7115, the psalmist writes, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. You think about the things that perhaps you have been faced with in the righteous acts of the Lord on your behalf and how he has saved you from much, not just uh, eternal condemnation, but on a daily basis. His salvation is active. And uh, for us, uh, their number is past our understanding even. If we would sit down and consider the things that he has saved us from, uh, we would spend the rest of our days recounting of them, and they are without number. Now, this evening, we'll see how David reacts to what he sees and just how much he trusts in his God and the courage that results in that very trust, his, his action, his response to that trust that he has in God, no matter what the worldly odds are. Keep that in mind as we go through this study. No matter what the, the, the worldly odds are against the Lord and, and what he wants to do and what he desires to do, we can trust in the one who is above all. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, 
And they were gathered at Sokka, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokka and Azekah in Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. The Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And so we start this story with the Philistines and Israel gathered together, both on hillsides opposite each other with the Valley of Elah between them. And then there was this giant, Goliath, who was a Philistine from Gath. He was, again, 8'5 to 9'2, somewhere about there. Um, uh, a, a cubit is 18 inches, so you can just imagine anywhere you see it in the Bible, one cubit is equal to 18 inches, so about a foot and a half. So if it says 6, 6 plus 3 is 9, right? And uh, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big man. That's a big man. Uh, he wore uh, his armor that was fitting for um, his stature and uh, had a javelin with a spear that was the size of a weaver's beam. So uh, a weaver has a, has a top beam and a lower beam, and, and, uh, and, and so you have some, some, um, uh, some other uh, pieces of wood that go between, and that's how they make their tapestry. As they uh, as they use that, but the the weaver's beam is large. It's it's very large. Um, you can imagine that. Well, just imagine like a, well the cross right there. That's what like a four by four. So somewhere between that and and that was what he held on to, <laughs> you know, four by four. And for him, it was maybe not like that, but. It was it was small. It wasn't it wasn't very large, and it was something that he was capable of tossing around and using very well. So to top it off, he had all this armor. He had this uh, spear, and he had a javelin. He had this nice helmet on his head, and he also had this shield bearer that would go before him. And normally, these shields weren't like you know the the small shields that. Sometimes we, we picture in our own minds. These shields are large, so normally they would cover uh, a good portion of the body. And he could easily tuck behind it, kind of like this right here. I could tuck behind it very easily and come out and then use a javelin or use a spear and, uh, and take someone out. So he had on top of all of that the shield bearer. Now, he was the man regarded as the champion of the Philistines. I know that that's a word that is common to us today. Being a champion for something means that you're an advocate, you're a representative, and you go before, um, you know, maybe a group um, or a cause or a movement uh, because you are the one who um, can very eloquently, perhaps, in articu can articulate um, really the goal and the purpose of the group that you're representing. For them, it was their army. He was their champion. He was their representative. So he went before them as their champion, and, uh, and he was challenging the Israelites. He was taunting them. He was mocking them, challenging them to send someone to fight him. I'm the Philistines' champion. Where's yours? And he would mock the Israelites. 
He was defying the Israelites. And as he's yelling these insults at the Israelites, he was with that striking fear in the hearts, in their hearts. And, and it says here that they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This giant of a man coming out and yelling at them. But get this, nothing had happened. And yet they were shaken up. Nothing had taken place that we know of. He just came out and he had many words to say. He, he breathed many threats. He mocked, he defied, did all this, but, but nothing really had taken place up to this point, and yet they were shaken up and in, this, in a, a state of shock, greatly afraid of this one man, Goliath. They were afraid and in shock because of his size. You know, with their eyes, they saw this, this giant of a man because he was so much bigger than anyone on the side of Israel. At this point, you could say, what great victory over the course of 40 days had the Philistines knew up to the, known up to this point? They were demoralizing the ar army of Israel. This one man was. Uh, no one dared go up against this giant. No one thought that they could beat him. Look at his size. There's no way we can beat him. And no one had stepped up to the plate and had courage enough to fight him. We need to understand one thing is, as far as the enemy is concerned, because the same strategy is used by God's enemies. We know Satan does this, and we should be aware of his schemes. You see, the Bible tells us, be sober-minded. Being sober-minded means being clear-minded, being uh, having the right perspective, um, being watchful. You know, as it says here, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You know, the way we resist the devil is by being firm in our faith and being confident in the one that we trust in. He is able, and his word is sure. And we can stand on it. The enemy uses this strategy against us today. God's enemies, oh, what they do, they scream and yell insults and appear larger than life and able to cause great harm. And unfortunately, this has been, up to this point, with the Israelites, a very effective tactic. Because many were in fear and they were paralyzed. We know actually that this is a very effective tactic by the enemy in the lives of Christians as well. Streaming and yelling insults, mocking and defying. Because many Christians fail to consider that God is with them and he is greater than anyone or anything. And instead they get paralyzed with fear of what could happen. And really, that, that was, that, that's what paralyzed them. They saw this giant, and, and what they feared was what could happen. What could happen? Not what was happening at the very time, at that very moment. This was the case with the Israelites. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. At this moment, that's where they were. Verse 12 now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. Uh, the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Now, at this point now, we know what David was doing. The last we left off, he was, um, uh, we know that uh, the spirit had departed from Saul and uh, a harmful spirit from the Lord had been tormenting him and 
And so David was called out so that that way he could play the liar and, and, uh, and he could soothe um, Saul in his time of distress. And um, so now we understand by what we read here that he was going back and forth between Saul and his father's sheep, tending to them. Every time King Saul would be distressed, uh, then he would be called out and David would come to him and he would play for him and then he'd return home. And it was during this time and over the course of 40 days that Israel and the Philistines were gathered together, not together, but against each other. And Goliath was coming out and taunting them. And as we read here, he was doing it in the morning and in the evening. It's interesting. Now, first thing in the morning, here comes this giant to strike fear in their hearts. Oh, the enemy wastes no time whatsoever. First thing in the morning, I want to put a, a fear in you so that you will be ineffective all day. Oh, and it says that in the evening before they retired for the day, that here comes a giant again. Just in case you forgot, here's this giant in your life. And, and I want to bring it to your attention so that that way all night you will perhaps fall asleep thinking about how big the enemy is. That was demoralizing Israel. Demoralizing them. It is... They were struck with fear. They were overwhelmed. They were paralyzed. They weren't moving at all. Well, that's, a, that's a very same thing again. A parallel. Something that happens spiritually with us. When the enemy comes in the morning and he reminds us of just how big he is. How big the problems are. Oh, you feel anxious? You stressed out? You worried? Oh, you have every right to be anxious, to be stressed out and worried. He, the enemy tells you, I would be too if I were you. I mean, look at the insurmountable problems that you have before you. Oh, there's no one that has the weight of the world on himself as you do. Oh, if I were you, I'd, I'd definitely be fearful. Oh, and in case you forget, I'll come back in the evening and remind you of these things. The scheme of the enemy. At some point in your walk with the Lord, he, can, he, can, he, he telegraphs his punch. You know all of his schemes. You know how he works. Well, we need to remind him of how big our God is. And with God, nothing's impossible. That greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. During this time, Jesse, David's father, wanted to know how his other three sons were doing. Sending David to them with some food to give them and to his commanders. And especially, uh, really, the purpose of it was to get word and bring it back to him. As it says in verse 17, And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. And so Jesse sent his son David, his youngest son, uh, took him from tending to his sheep and sent him off uh, to the front lines to see how his three oldest sons were doing and, uh, and, and uh, just bring word back to his father. Verse 19, as we continue, says, Now Saul... And they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the, the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went and as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the, bag, of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard them. So, you know, as we see here, David left 
It's a sheep in the care of someone very capable. And very early in the morning, as his father had told him to do, he left. He gathered all the provisions from his home and went to Israel's encampment, only to find them at that very moment leaving to the front lines. He arrived at the perfect moment when the armies were drawing up against each other. And David left what he had brought for his brothers and their commander with someone and, and ran to the ranks to meet with his three oldest brothers on the front line. As they were discussing, well, one can only you know, assume what they were saying, just how's everything going, anything else you need, dad's concerned for you guys, and I want to bring back word of how you're doing. You know, how's everything going? And at the very, the very moment that they're talking, here comes Goliath, saying the same things he had been saying for days, every day up to that point before that. So this Philistine begins to mock and taunt the Israelites as he had each day, and David heard him. Up to this point, we know David as we read here, had displayed absolutely no fear of the front lines. I mean, think about this. Here was this young man. He's 15 years old. He was sent by his father to go check on his oldest brothers. And it says here, he just, he came up, he left his stuff with the, the baggage claim, you know, and, and, he, uh, and he just continued to move forward. And, and he already knew that the battle cry had been sounded and, and th- there it was just they were going into, into battle. They were at least at least going to face the Philistines. And David had no fear. He went straight up, straight, straight in there. Where's Eliab? Where's Abinadab? Where, where are my brothers? Oh, they're right there. He left all, obeyed his father, and not only went to the battle, but and left the provisions, but, but he ran. He ran. He ran to the front lines. He, here was a young man who wasn't displaying any amount of fear whatsoever. Think about, just <clears throat> to put things in perspective, how would you be feeling? What would you be thinking as you went to the front lines? And here's the Philistine army before you. Think back to when you were 15. <laughs> Would you be so courageous as David and running out there? Well, I thought about this because here was a man who was described by God as a man after his own heart. Responsible, obedient, and fearless. He was willing to act without hesitation on what is right and go wherever he was sent. He is faithful and follows through with what he is directed to do by those whom God has placed in his life, not allowing the environment to dictate his actions clearly. And here he was at 15. What courage, what faith, what boldness this young man displayed. Oh, a lesson for all of us. Go, and he said, I'm going. Fear not. Oh, I fear not. I'm going to do what you have sent me to do. And I won't come back until I accomplish that. A man after God's own heart. So here was David. Now, hearing for himself what Goliath was saying and mocking and taunting Israel with. He heard it. I can just imagine the conversation going and then this giant coming out and just, it was just a hush among the Israelites. And they just allowed him to, to taunt them. No one speaking up, no one speaking out, just this giant speaking. And it says here, David heard him. Every single word that he said. Now, verse 24 says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, that is Goliath, well, they fled from him and were much afraid. 
And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. So not only did David witness the defying words of Goliath, but he also witnessed the cowardice of the army of Israel as they fled from Goliath when he came out to taunt them. Uh, he, he was still a distance away. Remember that they were going to the front lines, and then they retreated. They, 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 they pulled back. It says here that they ran. They ran. I don't know who is calling them to retreat. But from what I see here, no one did. It didn't say that, that uh, their commander called them to draw back or to retreat, to reestablish the front lines. There's none of that. So as soon as they, the giant came out, they feared greatly. And they ran. This is something that David witnessed as well. And how sad, you think about this, how sad that Saul had to offer his, think about it, his daughter in marriage uh, oh, by the way, if, if that's not enough, what goes along with her is, is a lot of money. And uh, then a house and property, and everything's tax-free. All of that. And still, even with that, because all the men knew this, they said, hey, ha have you seen this man who has come up? Surely, they already knew. He has come up to defy Israel. They already knew it. And then they said, the king will enrich the man who kills him and, you know, went on with the rest. Well, they all knew this, <laughs> but that wasn't even enough. No one dared go up against Goliath. They were all paralyzed with fear. And every time he came out, Israel ran away, ran away from him. And by what David said, he was in disbelief. David couldn't believe what he was hearing and seeing and asked again about what Saul was offering. What was that? But notice how he referred to Goliath and how he referred to Israel and Goliath's actions, but also Israel's inactivity. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? <laughs> He's 15. Uh, men, we need to have this type of courage. Who is this uncircumcised Gentile who dares to defy my God and my Lord? Oh, stand in the truth. Don't fold and run away. The giants are before you and they're yelling insults and screaming all kinds of threats. Do not back down. Continue to move forward. Be as courageous as this young man, 15 years old, who had courage well beyond his years because he knew his God well. Had they forgotten how God had delivered Israel from Egypt and made the sea as dry ground for them to escape on? Had they forgotten all their enemies who had been beaten as they came into the promised land? He also said that Israel was reproached by this man who was not one of them. In other words, he's not one of us. That means he's an enemy of God. He's not one of us. You see, David was seeing things from God's perspective. Not the flesh and not the world and not from the perspective of the Israelites at the moment. David in his questioning was actually putting things in proper perspective. We actually need to do the same thing. Do you mean that you are fearful and running away from something and a person and a situation that doesn't really amount to anything when compared to the Lord and what he's capable of? Yeah, but you don't know my situation. It's truly beyond 
what anyone has ever experienced. You mean to tell me that what Peter wrote is not correct? That anything that you've gone through or are going through is really common to others as they're going through the very same thing, even right now as we speak, and that God has been faithful to get them through that? Do you mean that the word of God is wrong? Is, is that what you're telling me? And you ask these questions because you want them to realize that, hey, listen, we need to fall in line. We need to have the, the boldness and the trust and the faith and the understanding that God is able to do any and all of these things. And our situations are not unique. No matter how unique they seem, they're not unique. We ask these questions. We need to ask this question of ourselves. What makes you shrink back from being faithful to the Lord and trusting in him? From drawing back into the world, into the flesh, and then trying to justify that in some way. What, what, what causes you, what is so big in your life that you forsake the Lord and trust in the flesh rather than the Lord? What is it? Because no matter what it is, is it bigger? Is that person bigger? Is that situation bigger than your God? Because that's what you're saying. Keep this in mind and know that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 1 John 4.4 4. In 2 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 4, in verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not in us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And in the verse 16, it says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporal. They're passing. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And so even as the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, so we ought to know and apply in our own lives that these things are transient. They're not worth even comparing to the glory that awaits us. And we too can make it through these things. God is much bigger than anything that is before us. We just need to fall in line with, with him and trust in him. Put things in proper perspective as a Christian. A, a genuine believer will always have the desire and the inclination to fall in line with the Lord, not with the flesh or with the world. Always with the Lord. Anyone can believe, but do you believe enough to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow the Lord? Because the Lord says, that is a follower of mine, and you have victory in me. Verse 28 says, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your, pres I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Now, what an interesting um, conversation these two had. Um, you can say that, that that could be anyone's family and any two brothers. I know what you're all up to. I know what you came out here to do. What have I said? I've not done anything wrong. Right, here's a little kid brother. 
I haven't done anything wrong. These are just but words. That's all they are. Older brother, the oldest brother, in fact, and the youngest brother. But David, you could, you could see here that he was unfazed by how he was misunderstood by his oldest brother. He was misunderstood. He didn't know exactly what he was saying or the intentions of his heart. He didn't know his motives. He's always, he, he was saying, you want to come and you want to instigate a fight. That's what you want to do. You, you, in fact, as it says here, you want to see a battle. Like, well, yeah, guys, stand up and fight. It's time, it's time to fight. But this is what Eliab was doing with his youngest brother, David. But David was his little brother. David was just not moved. He's being confronted and his motives questioned. But David had this integrity in his heart. And he knew he wasn't doing anything wrong. He had this integrity. Perhaps, as I said, Eliab was thinking that David was there to provoke a fight with his words. But maybe that was the shame that was being exposed. Eliab and the army of Israel was, as we remember, afraid to fight. And David's questions were exposing that. Didn't feel so good, did it? You know, sometimes those questions come up and we're confronted and then we start to blame others as, as far as our motives are concerned and all that. And what really happens is, is our own motives start coming to the surface. And our own state of being is kind of, it comes to the surface. Really, it didn't feel good to lie because their fear was coming to the surface. When you go to a faithful brother and he starts to ask clarifying questions, this is a faithful brother. This is what a faithful brother will do, nor sister. They start asking clarifying questions, really to put things in proper perspective. Because as you start answering these questions, you, you soon come to realize that your answers, if not lining up with God's word, are the very words that are bringing conviction and even testifying against you. You know, these questions. So let me ask you, is this what you're saying? And it just, it's like, oh. You know, at some point, if you humble yourself, you just say, yeah, it's not so, my answers are not so good, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm not in the right place, and so I need to confess. I need to be humble before the Lord, right? So, he says, let me get this straight, and then everything's exposed. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. This is what the word of God does in my own life, as it does in yours. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Keep that in mind. As we are filleted open and, and our, our, our thoughts and intentions are exposed before the Lord as we go through his word. It's, it, it does that surgical work in our lives. If we allow ourselves to come to that place of reading his word and, and seeking understanding and for him to reveal to us anything that is not of him. He does that work. Well, it was all coming to the open. It was all being exposed as far as their fear is concerned. And they were paralyzed with this fear. In verse 31, as David's confronting this, this issue really with, with all this. Verse 31 says, When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. 
Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Really, who remember Saul was head and shoulders above everyone. If anyone was going to be an example and display courage, wouldn't it have been Saul? Like, take the charge, go. But he didn't. He said, oh, you're a youth. He's, he's been a, a warrior from his youth. And the young shepherd told him of his great God. So someone went and told King Saul what David was saying. And so, of course, it got his attention and he sent for him. And, uh, you know, he, he noticed what David said and before the king. In verse 32, he says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. David, at this point, was volunteering to go fight Goliath. He wasn't trying to stir up or provoke anyone else to fight the fight. He said, I'll go. Send me. And he referred to himself before King Saul as his servant who was willing to battle for the sake of Israel. Saul responded with doubt regarding David as a youth and Goliath as an experienced soldier from his youth. And David didn't skip a beat. He didn't hesitate, as we see here. He presented basically his experience against beasts twice as fierce as this uncircumcised Philistine. Oh, here's this giant before us. Yeah, he's big. But he's nothing compared to a lion or a bear. I've gone after him. And if they've come after me, I too have been victorious over them. In the midst of trials and what seem to be inconsequential positions... The Lord is always preparing a servant for an assignment that requires his present faithfulness and trust in the Lord. Now, I want to repeat that one more time because sometimes we think in the place where we're at now that this is just a step to get somewhere that really matters. A position in life, a position in our work, a, a position somehow that will be more prominent and actually worth something. And David had been doing this work that was not inconsequential. It was the very proving grounds that were necessary to help him trust in the Lord and make him successful against Goliath. In the midst of trials, in what seemed to be inconsequential positions, the Lord is always preparing his servant for an assignment that requires his present faithfulness and trust in the Lord. We must exercise that even now. God was preparing David, you see, to fight Goliath while he tended to his father's sheep in the fields, protecting them, providing for them, leading them, and himself learning to trust in the Lord. David's experience of God's faithfulness gave him the confidence that God would deliver him from this uncircumcised Philistine. Regardless of how physically large he was, God always has the advantage and this young boy of 15 knew this well. He knew it. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Stop there for a moment. So here we see Saul clothing David with his armor. Uh, but as we see here, it wasn't tested, at least not tested by David. And David did not feel comfortable with it. And he turned it away. He rejected it. 
Saul was going to send him, but he wanted him covered to give him the best fighting chance. He says, put on, put on my armor. Go, go with my sword, my shield. It was too much. He took a few steps, and he didn't feel right. He was, it was awkward for him. Instead of being covered by Saul's armor, he was covered by the full armor of God, which protects and serves much better than any physical armor we can bear. See, Saul's armor did not fit David. I'm thinking it was cumbersome and would actually only slow him down and make David less agile and less accurate. What had been tested was David's sling, that which he had been practicing with for many years and used. So he picked up five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his pouch. He's ready for battle. And it says here that he started going towards the Philistine. That was enough. Now he felt confident. He was comfortable in what the Lord had provided for him. And it was tested. Now, there's a question. Why five? You guys know why five? Some of you already have the answer. Well, uh, we perhaps can assume that the answer lies in 2 Samuel 21, verses 18 through 22, where we learn that Goliath had four other brothers. So five stones. Goliath came out, boom, one stone would take him out. And perhaps if Goliath's brothers dared come out, oh, David had four more stones, one for each one of them. And so he had five, 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 and there were five of them all together. So Goliath and four brothers. But again, that's speculation. That's not what we know. Um, so I do have to put that disclaimer in there. Um, and, and that comes from 2 Samuel chapter 21, 21, verses 18 through 22. Either way, David was ready at this point, and he approached Goliath. Verse 41, as we, we continue, says, And the Philistine moved forward and came near David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Uh, the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Pause for a moment there. This, so this is Goliath's response to uh, David coming out with uh, his sling in a, in a cute little pouch. For him, that's what it was. Here was this, this uh, good-looking young man. Uh, it's such life in his face. His countenance was great. Full of joy at this point, I couldn't see joy on his face. I, I could probably see um, just a, a focus and a determination to take out the enemy. And yet for Goliath, he looked at this young man and he said, my dog that you come out to play with me with sticks? It, it'd be like us telling some little kid, what, do you think I'm your dog and I'm going to play fetch with you? Far be it. Oh, little kid, come near to me. And I will take you out. I will kill you and feed you to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That's what the response was. Absolute disdain. It was, you're unworthy of consideration, little boy. I can't believe they sent you out. He didn't want to regard David at all. But then we have David's response. Verse 45 says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. <laughs> now, there, there is, there's got to be this contrast, right? Here's this man, nine feet tall, speaking like Ken Graves. Only much 
bigger. Here's this 15-year-old. You know when a young man's voice is, is changing? You know what happens? It cracks, right? Just imagine him like trying to yell out to Goliath and saying these things. And Goliath has such disdain for this young boy. I, I know how we respond to each other. I can just picture him. Who is this kid? How dare they send him out? And now he's telling, he's yelling these insults to me. Oh, that didn't go very well with, with Goliath. And David was contrasting the differences between them. Goliath was coming with earthly weapons against David. Oh, how impressive. Those are truly amazing. Especially your shield bearer. Guess, guess who is David's shield? The Lord is his shield. Goliath was coming with earthly weapons against David. David was coming in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Well, what does this mean? It means that David, he said, I understand. I am on a mission sent by God. And God has armies that can't be numbered and they cannot be beat. That, that's in whose name I come. Your, your, your cute little shield and your armor bearer and your nine feet, all of that of, of flesh. They, they are no match for the God of the armies of Israel. Goliath thought he was invincible, but David knew that his God was not defeatable and is more powerful than anything and anyone. That's the thing. He's getting to that point to where we know. Listen, God had victory over our sin in the grave through Jesus Christ, his son. We have victory over sin and death in Christ. But even beyond that, the Lord gives us great confidence today to do things in his name and to his glory that would demonstrate that we are his and he is ours. God confounds the wise with the things that are considered foolish before the world. Now David made a very bold statement telling Goliath that the Lord would strike him down on this day. Here's was something that he was saying. It, it was prophetic. He hadn't done it yet. But he said, hey, today, the Lord's going to strike you down. And he would be along, uh, uh, the one along with the other Philistines, that is Goliath and the other Philistines, who would be fed to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. No, not me. It's going to be you and the rest of your buddies, your comrades over there. They're all going to be fed to the birds of the the air and the, the beasts of the field. Besides, I'm going to decapitate you. All of this so that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and so that Israel may be encouraged and reminded that the Lord doesn't trust in sword and spear to say he doesn't need that to be victorious. David knew this was God's battle. And he was simply being used as God's servant to demonstrate faith in him does not disappoint. Doesn't disappoint. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Apparently, David's words struck a chord in Goliath. Verse 48. When the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David... David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. We see here, David didn't wait. The Philistine took one step. And David was quick. He ran toward him. He ran quickly. He measured the proper distance, pulled out a stone, one stone, 
and slung it and sunk it deep into Goliath's forehead, killing him. He fell down. He's done. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, faith, it's impossible to please him. And in James 2.26, we know that he writes faith without works is dead. And we see the, the, the display of David, uh, the, the faith of David on display is what we see here. And how it is that he knew his God, he took what he had in his hand, and knew that God can do the, could do the impossible as he displayed his faith in him. The Lord will do it. I, I'm just being guided. I know what I have in my hand. God will get the glory. You know, I've heard of two perspectives of the men on that very day. Everyone else we know said, Goliath is so big, I can't beat him. Whereas David said, Goliath is so big, I can't miss him. Take aim with accuracy the word of God that you've come to know is able to bring down what seems impossible. But do it with faith, a faith that believes nothing is impossible with God. You know, the the stones that we have in our hands to bring down the weapons, spiritual weapons of our enemy is the very word of God. We ought to know the word of God that we may also gauge our opponent, measure, and throw these words out with great accuracy. That's what we ought to do. So we are to take the word of God with seriousness and be genuine about the study of God's word. That as we know it, we have this wisdom, this wisdom that knowledge uh, is rightly applied in specific circumstances and for specific times. That we may have a word for anyone in any situation, for the hope that lies within us and for the issues of life and godliness. He took aim with accuracy and he took down the enemy. Verse 50 says, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. <clears throat> So we see here David prevailed with sling and stone over a giant. It was his faith in the Lord. He ran to the dead Philistine, cut off his head with his own sword. And then the rest of the Philistines saw, and when the rest of the Philistines saw their champion laying on the ground, not only dead, but at that point headless, they ran. At that point, they ran. Their courage was all in that one giant, just that one that was yelling insults and screaming and doing all of that. He fell, and they all fell. They were all running away. The Israelites, we see here, were then encouraged and chased after them. And this is what we need to understand. Don't underestimate the faith of one man or one woman. Don't underestimate the expressed faith faith of one man or one woman. One victory can move an army of God's people to act. The faithful act of one person can encourage everyone else to follow along and go after the enemy. That's what we see here. Young 15-year-old David was a man who encouraged the whole Israel army 
to then pursue the Philistines. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote those words to young Timothy. And so the Lord writes to us, let no one despise you, but be an example. Be an example of, of godliness, of someone who stands up for truth, stands in the truth, is not moved by anything else. And be an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. And in so doing, you perhaps may encourage others to do the very same thing. That maybe they're falling short in certain areas. And you can serve as an example. As the Apostle Paul uh, wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm, I'm pursuing after Christ. Let's go. Let's do this together. One man encouraged a whole army to move by trusting in the Lord, acting in faith. Verse 55, and let's wrap up. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. It's interesting that, that Saul didn't know who David was. I mean, he was playing for him, right? He was being soothed by the music that he played. It, it may be that when David played for him, it was from behind a screen, and, and that's a possibility, and that's something that was brought up as I was reading about this and learning. Um, and, and he never saw David. Or because Saul was just out of his mind at the moment. He was being tormented. He, he wasn't in his right mind, and perhaps he didn't, he didn't recognize him. That moment, it was just all about Saul and being tormented. So in any way, at any rate, he just couldn't perhaps focus on anyone's face, and he, and he didn't recognize David. And so he asked Abner. Abner said he didn't know. I have no idea who he is. And so he sent for David, and David came. He came head in hand. <laughs> Yep, you're the one. Young David, about 15 years old, with the head of Goliath, the giant, in his hand. He, at that point, was known as the giant killer. Yeah, at some point, we in our faith and our walk with the Lord need to also be known as, as a giant killer. You know, that nothing, and, nothing phases us. That we're willing to go where we're sent by the Lord. That we're willing to take on whatever giant of circumstances are before us. Why? Because we have faith in the Lord, our Lord, our God, who not only saved us and sealed us, but the one in whom we have our hope in, in one day will be in all of his glory. Because he has saved us, saved us from eternal condemnation. But remember that Jesus said, I have come that you may have life in life more abundantly. You know, the abundant life is walking in uprightness before him with a clear conscience, with, with clean hands, a pure heart, knowing that you, in the integrity of your heart, are walking to bring glory to the Lord. And so, the only one to fear is the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. We understand that, first and foremost, we need to fear the Lord. And if we fear the Lord, we will fear no man. We will be as courageous as David was and expressed with his life. And I'll leave you with these few verses. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In Psalm, very fitting to leave with the, what the psalmist wrote, Psalm 56, 3 and 4 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Father, what can flesh do to us? Lord, for your word tells us to live as Christ and to die as gain. 
Lord, for us, as we need to often be reminded, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And truly, for the Christian, Lord, it's always a win-win. Lord, you have saved us already. And we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now let us be courageous before you. Let us believe and trust in the fact, in the truth, that you are greater than anyone or anything that we are faced with. And you are faithful. You, are never, you will never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Remind us of your truth. And let us walk in the light. In Jesus' name we pray.